Psalm 39, I want you to notice again a familiar theme that's found, of course, throughout the Word of God, as you'll be reminded of in a moment. David says these words in verse 4, Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days, what it is that I may know how frail I am. That's a king speaking. It's a potentate. He's a ruler. And then he says in the next verse, verse 5, Behold, thou hast made my days as an handbreadth, and mine age is as nothing before thee. A handbreadth, by the way, is an actual unit of length of measurement. It goes from here to here. That's a handbreadth. It is on average about four inches or ten centimeters, and its abbreviation is lowercase h, lowercase h. It stands for hands high. And of course, in the UK and in the United States, it's used to measure the height of horses, which on average is about 16 hands, if you will. Unless you're using my manly man hands, then it's going to be a lot less, of course. Maybe 10 or so, I don't know. But the point of verse 5 is pretty clear. Behold, thou hast made my days about that long. Four inches. Thou hast made my days a hand breath. To be precise, four inches. And in some ways, it's the answer to David's prayer back in verse 4. Look at it again. Lord, make me to know mine end. And he's praying, the measure of my days, what it is that I may know how frail I am. And then he says, Behold, thou hast made my days as an handbreadth. So David got some of his prayer answered. And then you'll notice he gets another answer, so to speak. Verse 5 again. Behold, thou hast made my days as an handbreadth, and mine age is as nothing. Note these two words, before thee. Those words before thee literally means in thy sight, from eternity's perspective and viewpoint. So that from eternity's viewpoint, age, he is saying, my age or anybody's age is really nothing. And where have we heard that before? 2 Peter 3.8, one day with the Lord. One day in God's sight. One day with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years with the Lord is as one day. And the Holy Spirit, of course, did not give just that one truth just to Peter, that revelation just to David. You may remember that it was also Moses who, just like David, prayed. And he asked God if he would help him to, quote, number his days. Psalm 90, a thousand years in thy sight. That's Psalm 90. It's Moses. In thy sight, a thousand years are as yesterday when it is past, and as a watch in the night. And so later he adds, so teach us, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. By the way, one of the reasons why that's so intriguing, at least to me, is that this man who wrote those words lived to be 120 years of age, and as a man who wrote about Adam, he's the man who wrote about Methuselah, who lived incredible lifetimes. He is still inspired to put down a calculation that to this day is timeless and universal, and you already know it. The days of our lives, he said, are three score and ten. A score is twenty. 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, three score, and then he says plus 10 more. The days of our lives, he says, are three score and then 10. And you know, as someone who just turned 66, I'm glad he added the extra 10. Amen. 
I was going to read the Bible. The days of our lives are three score. Ah, I'll take that 10. Remember the basketball shoes that were called Ann 1? I'm going to start a new brand called Ann 10. They're white orthopedic shoes. <laughs> Drippy old guy shoes is what they're going to be. 70 years. And then he adds, if by reason of strength, if by reason of strength, they be four score or 80 years. So there you have it. To use a football analogy, a man's years, one through 70, that's the first half. 70 to 80 is the second half. And 80 plus is overtime. Say, Pastor, your ratios are off. I know, but my ratios, I'm in the first half with the teenagers. Amen? That's why I did it like that. <laughs> Put it this way. Life, the Bible is saying, the point is the same. Life has stages. Nobody lives here in this fleeting world and on this earth forever. And more specifically, there is great wisdom. Great wisdom. It's why David prayed for it. Moses prayed for it. Tremendous wisdom when people of mortality look sincerely and honestly at eternity. Verse 4, he says, make me to know. Number my days that my heart can receive the wisdom of God. It is a reminder, young people in this room, that you can actually have wisdom way beyond your years. If you get a hold of this, you have wisdom way beyond your years. As a matter of fact, all of us in this room can increase in wisdom and in insight and in clarity and in judgment based on this alone. Simply doing what David does in our text. Praying, contemplating, taking inventory, enumerating, numbering our days so that we realize that our three score, that three score in ten... And then if God gives us by reason of strength another 10 or another 10 is a simple calculation that in the spiritual realm is extremely enlightening. Put it this way. When David says in verse 4, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days. Why didn't he say years? <clears throat> why didn't he say the measure of all my years? Verse 5, thou hast made my days. My days are like a handbreadth. Days? Oh, yes. And in so doing, you realize this is what happens all through the Bible because the Scripture always distills an entire lifespan, lifespan all the way down to one single day. There's life, seven or eight decades. Those decades are composed of years, but years are made up of days, 24 hours. So that the Bible calls it the days of our years. The days of our years. And beloved, there's very, very good reason for that. Not the least of which is the fact that a day really doesn't last very long. Today, for example, is January the 28th, 2024. And you know that as such, it is the only January the 28th, 2024 that will ever exist. And as such, that makes... One day that makes up all of the years of your life is almost over. In fact, today, this day, is already in its 18th hour. It'll soon be in its 19th hour. And who knows, if I keep preaching, it'll be in its 20th hour. <laughs> Remo wants to go home and watch the lions. 
It's not just the years of our lives, beloved, God says. It's the days. Do you recognize and realize that your days are fleeting by? That brings us to this remarkable truth in the Bible and a couple reasons, three reasons why it makes all the difference in a believer's life to understand them, to embrace them, to appreciate them. The first one, you notice, number one, is a lesson, and it is a lesson of perspective and patience. Look at verse 7, and now, Lord, what wait I for? And now, Lord, what was David, the king, waiting for? Well, most of you know his life story, but look at verse 12. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear unto my cry. Hold not thy peace at my tears, for I am a stranger with thee, and a sojourner, and a sojourner as all my fathers were. Waiting, sojourners or pilgrims. Hey, guess who else are sojourners? And guess who else are waiting, always waiting, every day as pilgrims in this world? Well, it's not just David, and it's not just his father's. It is all of us and our fathers and all of our children who are believers. And what, beloved, do sojourners need? What do pilgrims and sojourners need more than anything else in this life of constant waiting? You know what we need? We need patience and we need perspective. We quoted the words of Moses earlier who said that the days of our years are threescore and ten. Elsewhere, the same Moses wrote these words, we spend our days as a tale that is told. Our entire lives... And days go by like this, so that he's basically saying it's like a bedtime story. This was Moses, who I remind you spent 40 years in the backside of the desert. 40 years. Not knowing exactly what he was going to do, where he was going to go. Hiding and waiting. And another 40 years. That's 80 years. Another 40 years wandering around with a couple million malcontents and discontents. So that I'm saying it wasn't just academic for this man. It was real life and a man who knows. And yes, one of the sources of his incredible patience, as we find in the New Testament book of Hebrews, as the meekest man who ever lived was his perspective. It was a perspective that revealed to him just how quickly our lives pass by us. How many illustrations, beloved, throughout the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, how many illustrations are given to us that always, every time, picture the brevity of life? Verse 5 is a handbreadth. Job calls life a breath. James calls it a vapor. The Bible says that our lives are carried away as a flood, as waters in a river. Have you ever watched a rushing river and it's carrying things swiftly past? So that if you see this, this stick or something there, it's here, and then it's here, and there, and it's gone. That's your life. Your life is here and there, and it's gone. And mine is right behind you, or in front of you, most of you, I guess. <laughs> I mentioned he said that it's a tale that is told. Can you imagine a fireplace chat? It's a tale that's told. Gather around, everybody. Listen to this story. Long time ago, there was a man by the name of Donald. He built some buildings in New York, made some money, was elected president when he was three score and ten. The end. You say, Pastor, like that? Yes. Listen, our lives are a tale that is told. And if you doubt my Donald analogy, come up here and tell me the story. 
of President Tyler or the president or the story of President Polk or President Fillmore or President Pierce or President Arthur. You can't even tell a bedtime story about those men because you don't know about them because you don't care. They lived their lives. They were president of the United States, the leader of the world for some of them. A flood? There it goes. A tale that is told? You tell your little children a story at night? That's our life. The Bible says in verse 11, look at it, the middle, last middle part, thou makest his beauty to consume away like a moth. You ever hold a moth in your hand and just do that? Consume away like a moth. God is saying that life is short. In another text in the Bible, it says that life is like a dream. Life is like a dream. Wrong song. <laughs> That'll be in your head. Like a dream? Yeah. Gone. The Bible says it, in fact, Peter says it's like grass that withereth, flower. The grass rises in the morning and dawn to dusk and it's cut down and it's gone. Pastor Blalock, you're being cynical. You're a downer tonight. You're a defeatist. Not at all. I am being truthful with what the Scripture says about our lives. And beloved, by recognizing the truth of life's blessings and life's brevity, it puts everything and life's burdens, everything in this world, into its proper and right perspective, including all of life's problems and all of life's failures and all of life's temptations and troubles and triumphs. Can you imagine having a perspective that is so strong and real and true, having a perspective that almost inoculates you from despair or defeat? This is it. There's an ancient Persian fable, and it's about a king who ordered his wise men to come up with a saying, any single statement that would be true at all times and in all situations in life. These wise men thought and they pondered and they were nervous about it and they thought and they studied and they read all of the writings of everyone they could find, including Solomon and Daniel and anybody and everybody. And they finally came to the king with those familiar words, this too shall pass. And they said, this saying is true, O king, this saying is true, whether in glory or in gloom. The king, according to the fable, had it inscribed on his ring as the motto of his very successful reign. Abraham Lincoln was fond of telling that fable, that story. With using the words, this too shall pass, Lincoln wrote this. He said, how chastening they are in the hour of pride and how consoling in the depths of affliction. In other words, somebody says to you, man, you look awesome. You sound awesome. One, you look and sound awesome. <laughs> this too shall pass. <laughs> Somebody says, everything is, is dark and discouraging. This too shall pass. Pastor, I'm a nervous wreck. Because the stock market's like a roller coaster. Well, get off the roller coaster. That's my first advice as a pastor. 
I mean, do you really think in 20 years or in your last hours on earth you're going to care about a few fluctuations on Wall Street when you were younger? I don't think so. Some time ago, I was over at the graveside at Riverside where Louise is buried and really dozens of our, of our people too. And I was walking along and I noticed Perry Como. Perry Como's tombstone is there. And you know, I, I was thinking a while back, there was a day when if Perry Como, now these young people don't, you know who Perry Como is? <laughs> oh, the old, old school does, yeah. Well, I know you do. Perry Como, if he got off a plane in Tokyo, 300,000 fans would mob him. They just wanted to touch him. Worldwide, in Europe, of course in America, he was adored, he was worshipped, he was idolized. When he sang in Italy, his home country, because he was Italian, of course, they said that the flowers that people brought would fill up entire boxcars. Just absolutely adored. But I remember this. I remember in the 90s, I saw Pericomo one day in the old Tequesta Publix. How many of you have seen Pericomo in the Publix? All right, there's about a dozen of you, yep. And I saw him coming towards me in, in his cart was a loaf of French bread. I don't know why it wasn't Italian bread, traitor. <coughs> French bread and, and a box of cornflakes. And I thought, that's Pericomo. The first song Louise ever sang to me on the phone when I told her I loved her and she didn't answer back and I was waiting. She doesn't love me. She loves me. She sang Pericomo, when I fall in love. On the phone, <laughs> I cried. <laughs> and here I'm looking at him. Pericomo. Cornflakes. He was literally shuffling down the aisle like every other old retiree in Jupiter. And at Riverside, what came to my mind was there was nobody by his graveside. And there wasn't even a single flower. Pastor, they don't like me at school. So? Eh. Pastor, they think I'm the best. I'm amazing at school. So? Eh. You know, Kipling said in his brilliant poem, If, if you can treat both those imposters the same, triumph and disaster, you will be a man. The Bible teaches that the only way to treat those imposters the same is to have perspective and patience and divine wisdom by knowing the measure of your days. By knowing what David knew and Moses knew and Peter knew and Job would learn. The days of our years are three score and ten. Like a flood, like a dream, like the evening grass. It is soon, it is soon cut off. You know, for the lost tonight, if you're watching or there, or if you're sitting in this room, and some of you would be, I'm sure. That might be a fearful prospect. In fact, I would tell you it should be. Life is short if you're, short if you're not saved. But it's not fearful for a believer. Not even close. It's the opposite. It brings us to the second lesson in the text. Perspective and patience, number two, promise and praise. Look at verse 7, first of all. He says, now, Lord, what? this is at the lowest point of David's life, by the way. And now, Lord, what wait I for? My hope is in thee. Not the economy. My hope is in thee. Not your youth, not your abilities, 
Not President Biden's youth. Not the world's leaders. My hope is in thee. You know, just before that text we read early, quoted earlier talks about numbering your days, these words are written just before it. Before the mountains were brought forth, before he formed the earth and the world, before the evening and morning were the first day, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Wow. That means that the dominant truth before it ever speaks of the threescore and ten of man and the brevity of our lives, the dominant truth was the everlasting, eternal nature of God. So that Moses never said, we all, he didn't write it like this, we all have 70 or 80 years and that's it. Life is short and then you die. That's what my dad always said. Jimmy, life is short and then you die. What Moses said was, we have about 70 or 80 years of gladness and joy and mercy and then the best is yet to come. In the book of Hebrews, it speaks of Moses' career and long life of faithfulness. You know what it says there? It said, quote, he had respect under the recompense of the reward. What does that mean, Pastor? That's a long word. What does that mean? It means that Moses looked at all of his days. He had more than we'll ever have. But he looked at all of his days in the light of eternity with God so that the very next verse there in Hebrews says, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. In other words, for a Christian, life is short, and then you live forever. That's the truth. It is why Paul said that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. I heard Benny Hinn a while back, getting his crowd all worked up, as he does. He got them all in a frenzy of how prosperous their year was going to be that God told him so. And this statement he made, I'll never forget it. He said, oh, I hear these poor people say, they talk about streets of gold and, oh, streets of gold someday. I don't want streets of gold. I want my gold now. And the place went nuts. Clapping, cheering. I want my gold now. Well, he got his gold now. And look, can I just say, it's not the poor people who talk about streets of gold. It was God himself. It was God in his word. It was the apostle John in the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, prosperity preachers do esteem the treasures of Egypt, greater riches than the reproach of Christ. When the apostle Peter talked about a thousand years as one day in the sight of God, he adds these words, nevertheless, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Hmm. I don't know about you, but I want to be somewhere for eternity wherein dwelleth righteousness. More, and, and including my own self being glorified, I'm looking for that day. He closes with this benediction, Peter does. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. It is true, beloved, for the child of God, the best is yet to come. When I was a boy, my dad used to love to read Western novels, and I would see them, you know, here and there in the house. Louis Lamar and the Sackett Brand and the Shadow Riders and Zane Gray. 
riders of the Purple Sage and the Rainbow Trail, the Lone Star Ranger, as it was called then. And on occasion, I'd pick them up, junior high and high school, and I'd start to read through them. And you know, these guys, these writers were amazing. They were masters of building tension. They would always get the protagonist into this impossible dilemma. You'd be reading and they would get them in this, this showdown and they're wounded and one eye's been shot out and it's just like, oh no, there's no hope for this guy. Outnumbered, mortally wounded, and doomed. And the tension was intense. But of course, all you had to do, as I learned, in any of those cases was just, you got a little paperback, just flip to the back, skip ahead, and read the resolution, and the tension is gone. Instantly gone. You say, Pastor, that's cheating. Well, then David was a cheat, and Peter was a cheat, and the Apostle John was a cheater, and especially John in the book of Revelation who wrote the greatest spoiler alert in all of history. If you don't want to know how it all ends, don't read Revelation. I want to know how it ends, and I love the ending. Pastor, Iran just attacked and killed three U.S. soldiers. And dozens are injured. And Mitch McConnell today is calling for the president to strike Iran with nukes. It's like World War III. Every month these days is on the verge. Yeah, it's a mess. But I've read the last chapter. Pastor, the Chiefs are going to the Super Bowl again. I know, it's a mess. That's the worst news of all. Luke Skywalker had this line about, this is not going to end the way you think it is. Well, this is going to end the way he says it will. And I've read it. So that even when there's tension, and even when there's foolishness with the kings of the earth, and there's going to be some foolishness with the kings of the earth. For the believer, there's always hope and trust and rejoicing all our days, every single day. Which brings us to the third thing. Perspective and patience, promise and praise. Finally, number three, you'll notice there's also privilege and purpose. Notice chapter 40, would you? Verse 5, Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done. And thy thoughts, which are to usward, they cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. You know why I want you to read that? I want you to see that word numbered. Our days can be numbered. God's goodness, God's works, God's plans cannot be numbered. Because of the increase of his kingdom, there is no end. And guess what you are as a child of God? You are already a priest and a subject of that never-ending kingdom. You realize what a monumental difference this makes in light of that statement about three score and ten. Because, you know, 70 or 80 years, if life is just that, if it's 70, 80, 90 years, a man came here that this morning came running up to me. Somebody saw I had a hat, 101, still having fun, was on his hat. He met me at Lone Pine in the late 80s, early 90s. And he says, I got to see Pastor Blake like he's my boy. 100 and something years old. 
If that's all life is, 70, 80, 90, 100, then yeah, let's dismiss now. Let's go to Remo's house and watch the Detroit Lions, amen? Let's just go home. Let's watch MSNBC and all become psychotic, deranged cynics. I saw a bumper sticker a while ago that said, if you work hard enough, you can replace depression with exhaustion. <laughs> Good morning, sunshine. Oh, hang on with that guy. But that's the reality of life without God and his truth. Solomon wrote an entire book on that perspective. It's the book of Ecclesiastes, and it's all vanity. But it is not reality for any child of God. shouldn't have to be. All of us here are given this purpose every day of glory and hope and promise. We're part of his kingdom. So that every day and all the days of our life are ultimately good days. Really, Pastor? Yes. Because this is the day which the Lord hath made. And we should rejoice and be glad in it. And that applies when you're on the mountaintop. That also applies when you're in a cave like David and hiding. Or Paul, waiting in prison. He called it glory. It seems sometimes that evil triumphs. For all the days of our three score and ten, what you must do and what I must do, what God calls us to do, is have this perspective that Jesus had. It's eternal, so that we can rejoice and be faithful and serve and praise God all the days of our lives. And God's people said, let's bow our heads, shall we? Heads bowed and eyes closed. I wonder who'd say tonight, Pastor Blalock, I'm, I'm a believer tonight. I'm saved by the grace of God, but I needed this reminder. I'm telling you, I need it. I've always said, since I was a young pastor here and 29 years of age, I have, and when I was a teenager, I can tell you that God began to give me a perspective on how brief life is. But when I was in my 20s, 29 when I came in, early 30s, I have always said from this pulpit and reminded that life is short. It is so brief. I pulled out a paper the other day and it had some of the members in our church who have gone on to heaven. Name after name after name after name. Madeira West. And the and Bob and Millie Anderson. And I was looking at these names and thinking, boy, they've, they're gone. They've been gone, some of them, for years. My name will be there. Your name will be there. Your children will be there if the Lord tarries. Gone. That perspective is not despair. That perspective is glory for a child of God. If you see it correctly, if you believe the word of God, if you believe what Jesus promised, that in his Father's house are many mansions. Pastor, I'm saved tonight, but I needed this reminder, and God has spoken to my heart about something as a Christian. Who would say that? Would you lift your hands in the building? Raise your hands to the building, and God bless you, and amen, and I raise mine. Look, tomorrow's a day that God has given you. This day's about over. A brand new day that God has given you. You don't need to fret all day. You don't need to worry all day. You don't need to gripe and gossip all day. You can be grateful all day. You can be thankful and a blessing and praising and glorifying God as we preached on this morning. It can be a day of victory regardless of what happens in Iran. In Iran. It can be a day of prayer. You know what? It can be a day of opportunity and a day of opportunity to reach out to someone who doesn't have your perspective. 
Pastor, I'm here tonight. I'm not sure that I'm saved. If I died, I don't know I'd be in heaven. And life is short. And I need to be saved. Could I pray for you? I won't embarrass you or come to you, but I will pray for you. I'm not sure that I'm saved, but I want to be sure. Who would say that? Would you lift your hand through the building? Anyone like that? All right. We're going to pray in a moment and have a time of invitation. And as always, if the Lord has spoken to your heart, the altar's here. You know, I mentioned that as a teenager, and this is, this is before the Lord, the truth. As a teenager, I began to get a perspective about how li- short life was and is. And it grew through the years. And I'm telling you why. Because as a teenager, I prayed for it. My pastor in Fedville, North Carolina, Homer Fur, preached on this very subject. Teach us to number our days. And I remember praying, Lord, teach me to know. And you know, when you're young, you don't. And the Lord began to, you young people, ask the Lord. Ask the Lord to give you perspective. That eternity is forever and life down here is short. And then you, then you see everything through the eyes of eternity. Father in heaven, bless now the invitation. We commit it into your hands and we thank you. That all through your word you remind us that life is short. And as believers, then we live forever. Help us, dear God to have the true eternal perspective that changes everything that we see, anything that Satan would assail us with, whether it be victory or pain. Bless bless these people, these young people, Lord, help all of us to see that this is the day which you have made, and we're going to rejoice. We're going to be glad in this day and every day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Let's stand together, shall we? Day by day is the hymn. As we sing it together, this is the altar you come. Day by day, and with each passing moment, strength I find to meet my trials here. Trusting in my Father's wise bestowment, I've no cause for worry or for fear. He whose heart is kind beyond all measure, Gives unto each day what he deems best. Lovingly, it's part of pain and pleasure, mingling toil with peace and rest. Every day the Lord himself is near me with a special mercy for each hour. All my cares he fain would bear and cheer me. He whose name is Counselor and Power. The protection of his child and treasure is a charge that on himself he laid. As thy days, thy strength shall be in measure. This the pledge to me he made. Father in heaven, thank you for your word, the truth of your word. Thank you for the spirit of God who guides us in all truth. And I just ask, Father, that we will walk out these doors tonight grateful, trusting you, always trusting you. Whatever tomorrow holds or next week or next month, the just shall live by faith. 
Help us to do that, Lord, to your honor, to your glory, so that our lives can make a difference in this dark and dying world. We'll praise you for that and thank you for that in Jesus' precious name. Amen.